the Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book 5, Critical Spring. Chapter 11, Storm the Stronghold. If everything goes as we planned, whispered Kutch, we won't have to go back in the boats. Well, that's good, Martin whispered back, although it would be a lot less work going downstream than it was coming up. Okay, everyone, Kutch whispered louder so the whole group could hear. Gather round. Martin's eyes had become accustomed to the darkness of the early morning hours. The silhouettes of Kutch's red team formed a loose circle around their sergeant. Joining that circle were Martin, his son Dustin, and the former gang member Trevor. Since Trevor was far from being in the Azule's inner circle, he didn't think he would be of much use. Nevertheless, Kutch thought his knowledge of the gang's ways might help. Kutch began when the rustling of clothing subsided. Beyond this tree line is the perimeter road. Across that is a riprap embankment. At the top is a chain-link fence. It's not electric, so we'll cut through rather than go over it. Lower visibility. Where's Dustin Simmons? Uh, here. All right, everyone. Just to repeat from our briefing back in town, our challenge is for getting in unseen without lights. They've got a couple of generators for running internal systems, but they can't crank out enough power for outdoor floodlights, too. The challenge will be a ring of IR cameras between the outer fence and the buildings. They face out, watching the fence. On most of the buildings, there are cameras, too, facing out, from what we can tell. That gives us two rings to penetrate. Dustin here is going to try to disable them. Uh, I'll need a signal for that, said Dustin. And you're sure there's enough Wi-Fi signal out beyond the fence uh, that I can pick up their network? There is, said Kutch. The spot just up on that embankment is the best. The signal was pretty strong, and it looks like only two cameras are watching this sector. One outer ring, one inner ring. You said you could disable them. Yeah, well, I, I'm pretty sure. We can't use pretty sure. My team has over 200 yards of empty ground to cover before we get to the first building. Those cameras need to be out of action. I know, I know. Dustin heaved a deep sigh. Well, let's go up and see what we can do. Kutch's red team scurried across Perimeter Road. Once Martin's group was across, too, they all climbed the rocky slope. They stopped just below the crest so they wouldn't appear on camera. Kutch's recon team had learned that the Azules never patrolled outside the fence. They usually stayed near the buildings. Peering through the tall grass at the base of the fence, Martin could see a wavering flashlight beside the nearest building. It was hard to tell, but it looked like two men making the rounds. Kutch handed Trevor his night vision goggles. What can you tell us about them? Whoa, man, exclaimed Trevor in a whisper. These things are amazing. It's like full moonlight or something. Green moonlight? 
I, I can see the buildings, uh, the doors, and trash, just like it was daytime. Oh, this is so... Never mind. What about the two men? Oh, oh yeah, sorry. Trevor fixed the NVG gaze on the flashlight beam. Uh, the short one? Uh, that's Rabbit. I don't know the tall one. Rabbit's got the light, so I figure he's got rank. He won't come way out here to look around. He's not the Black Panther type. Better at hot wiring cars. Walking patrols ain't his style. Anything else? asked Kutch. Trevor thought for a moment. Uh, well, sir, this place just ain't Azule's kind of turf. Too much open. Azule's like stuff close. Houses, stores, all a quick runaway. Lots of cover in case someone comes out hot. I bet they feel like ants on a sidewalk out here. They definitely don't pick this place cause they likes it. Well, that would mesh with Mike Wilder's theory, said Martin. Someone hired the Azules to be here. Could be Quinn. Could be, said Kutch. Got to get inside to tell. Okay, computer boy, get started. Dustin put a dark blanket over his head to mask the glow of the laptop screen. A faint spill of blue-white light leaked around the edges. Keys clickety-clacked as Dustin launched programs and set configurations. Well, asked Kutch. Oh, don't rush me, came a muffled voice from beneath the blanket. There's signal uh, and traffic, uh, but it's encrypted. I'm gathering content with my sniffer software. The first stage is to try to identify... Uh, yeah, it's WEP. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so you're in? asked Kutch. Tell me when the cameras are off. Oh, it's not that simple, said Dustin. I'm still gathering packets. Uh, you see, WEP is still encrypted data, but it's an old encryption protocol. Super old, like back in the 90s. I'm guessing that whoever put all this equipment together was doing so from leftovers and salvage. That means they had to go with the lowest common denominator for a protocol. Why is he telling me all this? Kutch whispered to Martin. Well, he isn't really, Martin whispered back. He likes to talk to himself when he's working on stuff like this. He says it helps him think. Yeah, packets of WEP all carry segments of the key, muttered Dustin. Gather enough packets and you can piece together the whole network key. Fortunately for us, video streaming spits out tons of packets. It's <laughs> just a matter of time. We don't have all night, said Kutch. Well, I know, I know. Uh, hold on, I might have enough packets now. Let me run them through uh, Wanshark and see. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh, a little more. Yes, o oops, uh, sorry for getting loud. Now you're in? Uh, no, I've got to run this pile through AirSurf to extract the usable key. And, uh, okay, oh, now to test it. <laughs> cool. What, now you're in? Kutch's voice was both impatient and expectant. He turned to Martin. And why would your son have all the tools like this? Heh, <laughs> uh, well... <clears throat> Martin was glad for the darkness to conceal his blush. Dustin's fascination with hacking had not exactly been a source of parental pride. Uh, network security was kind of a hobby of his. He said he only used them for good... Can you guys keep it down out there? I'm trying to concentrate, said Dustin. 
This network's IP range is uh, 192.168.1.x. About as stock standard vanilla as they came. I bet that means they haven't messed with the router much at all. The cameras all have numbers like dot .102. Uh, let me see if I can find his router. Hmm. Uh, not dot one. Uh, not dot ten. Uh, let's try at the other end. Oh, cool. Dot two five four. It's uh, a Digicom fifty three hundred. Oh, man, that's old. Look, said Kutch. I really don't need to know all of that. Can you turn off the cameras now, or what? Uh, better than just off, said Dustin. Since everything has been so vanilla, I tried a default admin password for the router, Michelangelo. Can you believe they didn't change it? Ha, I'm in his router now. Awesome. Might as well leave the front door unlocked and cookies on the table. I tried the camera first. Its username is admin, and the password is camera. Whoever set this up was in a hurry and never came back to tighten things up. So what? Turn off the cameras. Oh no, don't you see? I can access all the cameras. I've got CCTV player apps. I can read their feeds, and since I'm in the router, I can spoof them. Sergeant, if a couple of the cameras went dark, they might send someone out to investigate, right? We'd be across the clearing before anyone got outside. But they'd be coming to check. You'd run into them. Others would be alerted, and there'd be trouble. What if I spoof the IP address of the camera and have it play a loop of nothing happening? I gathered lots of packets. I could make up a quick loop of streams. Nothing happening over and over wouldn't catch attention like a dark screen. Hmm, said Kutch. I do like that better. Just hurry up. Uh, it'll be dawn soon. We want to catch them while the night shift is tired and the day shift hasn't woke up yet. If you can't get it done quickly, just cut the feeds for those cameras and be done with it. We're running out of night. Uh, which one? Uh, which one? Dustin mused to himself. Oh, oh, this is the outer one. Uh, I can see the pair of birch trees behind you. Uh, one down. Uh, now, if these numbers were sequential, uh, darn, they're not. But, uh, oh, this one is on the other corner of the building. It shows the edge of the parking lot. Okay, now to stitch together some nothing footage. I'll have my laptop spoof the IP and streams like the other camera. The inner camera I'll just log on to and freeze up so it shows a still. Kutch motioned for his men to get ready. One man crawled up near the fence with big cutters. We are live, ladies and gentlemen, announced Dustin in his DJ voice under the blanket. You are good to go. The man cut a dozen links in the fence. Two men pulled the corners aside while the others crawled under. Silently, Kutch's team low-ran across the dark grassy expanse between the fence and the first big sheet metal building. Hey, Dad, I can read the streams of all of their cameras. Got a half dozen of them up now, on multi-view. Oh, really? Martin ducked his head under the blanket. This is kind of like reading comic books with a flashlight in bed, he said. Oh, why would you need a flashlight? Screens are backlit. Eh, never mind. This one is, uh, nope. Uh, maybe this one, uh, nope. Oh, here they are. They're inside. 
Oh, wait. If I can see them, whoever's monitoring the screens can probably see that, too. Uh, let me freeze all of these. Uh, this one, uh, this one, and uh, that one. Uh, I can't get to all of them very fast. Well, anything will help. Martin felt his hand tighten around the grip of his carbine. They were on the outside fringe of the action, but no one never knew if some surprise patrol might come along. Trevor was their lookout. Yeah, Kutch just called for the fake attack on the gate to start, said Airman Sanchez. He had the encrypted radio for the red team and stayed at the fence. Martin pulled out from under the blanket to look south. Small fires flickered to life above the rooftops. The plan was for a few bonfires to start south of the airport to distract any lookouts in the tower from the fence breach to the west. There could be no sniping the lookouts this time. The airport's control tower was too far away and offered too much cover. The tower sentries could only be distracted. The fires didn't have to look like an attack, just suspicious enough to keep an eye on. Hey, Dad, uh, hijacked some good feeds inside. The red team is searching rooms, said Dustin. They don't know where that Quinn guy is. Well, someone's bound to notice they're inside, said Martin. Can you look through cameras to find out where Quinn is? Well, they got maybe 30 cameras on this network, complained Dustin. Uh, I'm down to 10% battery already. Uh, I didn't get as good a charge from my solar panels as I'd hoped. Well, too cloudy. Well, then start looking and stop whining. I'm not whining. You're not searching either. I am too, see? Nothing, darkness, nothing, empty room, empty hallway, outside. Nothing. Oh, wait, here's one with a hallway and an open door and light coming out. I just saw a guy come out and go down the hallway. Well, can you tell which building it's in? asked Martin. Well, how would I know that? I don't know these buildings. Well, then just describe what you can see, said Martin. Look there, the floor is carpeted. That's a clue. That other hallway they came in had a concrete floor. Martin ducked out from under the blanket. Sanchez? Martin whispered hoarsely. Where are you? Over here. What's up? Tell Kutch we think Quinn and his men are in a building with a carpeted floor, wooden doors, and light-colored plastic-paneled walls. That might help him eliminate some places. Oh, got it. Airman Sanchez relayed the information. Martin pushed under the blanket again. Well, what, what do you see? Some gang dudes are getting ready to check out the gate, I think. They look pretty edgy, lots of pointing and gesturing, like they want someone else to go first. Well, great, said Martin. Can you still see Kutch and his team? Uh, hold on. I had them on one camera, but they went out of view. I haven't found, uh, oh, wait, there they are on dot 115. Carpet and paneled walls. They must be in the same building. Let's see what dot 113 has. Oh, no, uh, dudes in black. They have long guns. Running down the hallway. Uh, no idea which direction. Uh, muzzle flashes. The black dudes are falling back, shooting. The faint sound of muffled gunfire echoed across the open ground. Cuts just called for the barbarians, Sanchez announced to the men outside the fence. Get ready to move. A brighter fire flared up in the south. Martin couldn't see the source, but knew that it was a trailer full of oily trash that was being pushed down the road toward the gate. 
Quinn and his minions had erected a crude gate across the roadway as it passed under the runway bridge. It formed a highly defensible barrier to Quinn's airport fortress. Scattered gunfire answered the firecrackers. Gravity would propel the blazing trailer down the gentle hill to crash into the gate. Kutch's plan was for the foe attack on the entrance to draw away manpower that would otherwise be protecting Quinn. Uh, the dudes in black are falling back. Uh, shooting, uh, backing, said Dustin. Oh, there's Kutch. Oh, they're pieing that open door. Uh, charging in. Oh, dang, can't see nothing. Oh, maybe dot one one one. Uh, bingo. Oh, cool. Well, this one has an audio feed. Well, play it. Of the New Hampshire National Guard, we are here for Jack Quinn. I have a warrant for his arrest. You are trespassing on government property. Leave immediately or my men will open fire on you. We don't want a firefight, mister, but we're not leaving without Mr. Quinn. I have a warrant for his arrest, signed by Governor Vincent. Your stupid papers mean nothing. I am a federal official, understand? You have no jurisdiction here. You're coming with us anyhow. Now, tell your men to stand down. We don't want to hurt anyone, but we will take you in. Like hell you will, you and your stupid weekend warriors. Vincent is a fool. You're all fools. I would have given you peace and security. You would have had food to eat, but no. You were all too big a babies. Wanted it your way. I'm not here to argue with you, sir. You are under arrest. Please tell your men to stand down. A loud series of bangs crackled through the laptop speakers. Between the gunfire crackled shouting, screaming, and more shooting. The screen went white. Then, silence. Dang, someone shot out the camera, said Dustin. They were moving. Let me try another one. Uh, dot one one nine? Uh, no. Dot one one oh? Uh, no. Oh, here we go. Dot one oh seven. It's outside. Uh, I can see one guy, a uh, really big guy. He's running across a parking lot. Uh, oops, out of range. Oh, oh, here comes Sergeant McCutcheon chasing him. Uh, he's out of view, too, now. Hey, guys, called out Airman Sanchez. Kutch said the subject got into a black SUV. He thinks he's going to make a run for the gate. We're supposed to double-time it to the intersection and be back up for the gate team. We gotta move, now. Martin, Trevor, and Dustin joined Sanchez. They abandoned all of their equipment except their weapons. They scrambled down the riprap as quickly as they could. Running in a full sprint down the road felt faster since it was slightly downhill. As they ran, they could hear sporadic gunfire above the riprap wall. Take positions behind this guardrail, said Sanchez. Brown Ave and Perimeter Road connected with a banked curve of Airport Road to make an X intersection. Martin knelt behind the rail. He rested his arm holding the forestock on the top edge of the heavy gauge metal panel. His thumb flipped off the safety. Several bursts of gunfire rattled and echoed off the various concrete walls. The street was gently lit by the fire from the burning trailer and the dull gray-blue of the approaching dawn. With his chest heaving in deep breaths, and his heart still pounding from the run down Perimeter Road, 
Martin had a hard time keeping his sights steady on the empty street. A loud metallic crash was followed by squealing tires. Rapid gunfire clattered and popped. The silhouette of a huge SUV slid sideways into view. The driver regained control. The shiny black Escalade roared as it accelerated toward them. Fire! shouted Sanchez. Martin aimed at the front grill as best he could. He took three quick shots. He knew he was jerking the trigger, but there was no time for slow and steady squeezing. He squeezed off ten more shots. Sanchez fired short bursts from his M4. Dustin shot the AR distributed by the town from the confiscated weapons of badass. Trevor let loose with slugs from the 12-gauge. All four men continued to fire rounds into the SUV. Martin wasn't sure that any of the shots found the target. The speeding vehicle showed no signs of damage. The only discernible effect were white spots that appeared on the windshield. The fusillade did cause the driver to change direction suddenly. Instead of barreling straight past them on the gentle curve of Airport Road, the driver tried a hard left to take Brown Ave south. The rear of the Escalade fishtailed, breaking free in the too-sharp left turn. Sliding sideways, almost backward, the big SUV headed for the guardrail. Martin half expected to see the machine crunch into and bounce off the guardrail, then veer back across the intersecting street. He adjusted his aim to where he thought the SUV would be after the bounce. Instead, the skidding Escalade flattened the guardrail and disappeared over the embankment. Let's go, shouted Sanchez as he jumped over the guardrail. Spread out! Cover behind those poles! Uh, did he roll it? Martin wondered. I should have heard more crunching if he did. Martin and the others moved quickly but cautiously toward the far corners of the intersection, stocks at shoulders, eyes behind sights. Given the steep embankment, they wouldn't be able to see anything until they got to the edge. They could still hear the engine roaring and tires spinning, so they approached in half-steps, sights peering over the crest. The clatter of a fast-revving diesel engine grew louder behind them, sounding like a rampaging tractor. Martin glanced over his shoulder. A flat-nosed, desert-tan military 4x4 rounded the turn from the rotary. Thinking that they might be boxed in by some of Quinn's men, Martin turned his carbine on the oncoming truck. Ah, that's Kutch, shouted Sanchez. Martin blew out a quick sigh of relief. The tan truck squatted on its front tires as Kutch slammed on the brakes. The driver's door swung open. Kutch jumped down as he approached the crest with the flattened guardrail. He had his rifle shouldered. Stop! You are under arrest! Kutch shouted. Turn off the engine and step out of the car. Turn off the engine. Martin approached the crest. He could see the black Escalade sliding sideways on the embankment. Having slid down sideways, the tires sat in deep ruts in the soft soil. Quinn was revving the engine in alternating between drive and reverse. The SUV wallowed forward and back, forward and back. Kutch signaled for Sanchez to move around to the front of the stranded SUV to put sights on the driver. With a sudden bounce, Quinn managed to get his tires out of the ruts. The Escalade turned down the remaining slope onto a residential street. He was loose. Everybody into the truck, Kutch shouted as he ran for the open driver's door. Sanchez hoisted himself into the passenger side. 
Martin quickly slung his carbine over his shoulder and grabbed the side rail as the truck began to roll. He managed to get a foot on top of the fuel tank that let him get his other leg kicked over the low steel side. Trevor got a good grip on the handle at the back of the bed and a foot on the bumper. He reached back for Dustin running behind him. They locked hands. For a moment, Dustin was being dragged behind the roaring 4x4. When Kutch braked for a curve in the road, Trevor was flung into the cargo bed. He pulled on Dustin, who was able to grab the other handle and get his knee up. Hold on tight, Martin shouted. He could see over the top of the cab. The Escalade had no taillight, but in the soft twilight, its black silhouette was visible ahead of them. Dustin and Trevor pulled themselves forward in the bed as best they could in what amounted to a dry, wave-tossed deck. Even with both hands holding on tight to the pipe railing, it was a challenge to stay in the saddle. The tall 4 by 4 swayed dangerously in the turns. The big diesel screamed, but they could not close the gap. The black Escalade was pulling away. Martin heard Kutch shouting something. Sanchez yelled into his radio, but none of his words were discernible amid the clatter of the transport's engine. The wind chill made Martin's eyes water, but he wanted to keep watching the speeding SUV ahead of them. His heart began to sink as he thought that Quinn could get away. Martin held on tight as the tan 4x4 sped around a bend in the road. After a curve, the landscape looked familiar. The tall white pines, low single-family homes, they were approaching that part of Litchfield where the team had staged for several days, waiting for the last two boats to arrive. They began their trek up the river from the steep bank nearby. Martin could see several people pushing Charles's truck across the street. They were making a roadblock. Martin wasn't sure if he should cheer or scream. If the guardrail at Brown Ave was any indication, that old truck would simply be bashed aside. Quinn would still get away, and Cheshire's only functioning truck would be ruined. Instead, Quinn tried to drive around the truck on the right. He was nearly even with the nose of Charles's truck when the Escalade's back right wheel slipped over the edge of the steep shoulder, causing the SUV's back end to skid. Quinn overcorrected. Instead of lurching back up onto the road, the skid worsened. The back corner of the car hit a telephone pole. The impact spun the vehicle to the right, sending him down the riverbank. Small trees flapped down on impact. Quinn steered between the larger trees. Kutch braked hard. Martin fell onto the cab of the 4x4. If he hadn't held his grip on the top rail, he would have been thrown onto the road. While regaining his footing in his high perch, Martin could see a shiny black shape bounce up over some rocks that lined the river's edge. The Escalade plunged into the dark river. It sank without a moment of floating. Martin jumped down and ran along the trail of broken and flattened trees. He wanted to see where Quinn would pop up. There were only a few lines of bubbles amid the swirling waves. Did you see him come up? asked Kutch as he ran past Martin. Uh, no, not even enough bubbles for as much air as that thing had in it. Did you see it? The thing sank like a stone. Must have had it up armored to the max, said Kutch. Sanchez, watch that quarter. Simmons, this quarter. Kutch chopped the view into wedges with his outstretched arm. You, look over there. And you, watch that far bank for any signs of movement. Everyone stood amid the ruins of the small trees or on the rocks. They watched the steady swirl of the spring-swollen river roll past. Nothing. 
He must be trapped inside, said Martin. If he got the door open, we should see a bunch of bubbles, wouldn't we? The group of men continued to scan their sectors for another long minute. How can there be nothing? asked Martin. Uh, should we go in there? asked Dustin. Uh, try to get him out? I can't swim, said Trevor. Well, I'm not going in there, said Kutch. You know how cold that water is. We were just in that river at Old Dark Thirty. You wouldn't last five minutes without proper gear. Besides, you'd be looking for a black thing at the bottom of a dark river. How well do you think that would go? I radioed the base, said Sanchez. Fastest anyone could get here is forty-five minutes. I didn't tell them to send backup or bring insulated scuba gear, only that we were in pursuit. Uh, should I ask him? Nah, Kutch continued to stare at the water. So he just suffocates inside that thing? These are hard times, said Kutch. A lot of people die now in what would have been survivable events before all this. They watched the river for twenty minutes. It felt like hours. Martin wanted some finality, proof that Quinn was either dead or captured. He got neither, but the odds leaned toward death. Hey, said Sanchez, the guys back at the airport want to know when we're coming back. The gang dudes all ran off. Our guys have the rest of Quinn's men zip-tied. Yeah, okay, we're done here. Kutch turned and trudged up the riverbank. Ah, an action-packed chapter. In some ways, it plays like a sort of climax, a denouement, in which the shadowy villain meets his inglorious end. Of course, in the print book, or even the Kindle version, the reader knows that there's still a half a book left. So why did I kill off the villain halfway through? Well, one factor was trying to tie up an earlier plot thread. Whatever happened to that Quinn guy, well, now you know. Another angle to Quinn's demise was showing that the bad guy wasn't always the source of trouble in a grid-down world. Even with the shadowy villain gone, just living in their grid-down world itself will provide some pretty daunting struggles. You may have noticed, too, that frequently in my battle scenes, Martin isn't the uber-hero leading the good guys into battle, his sword held high, etc., etc., when, in Book 3, they're at sea, caught between two opposing gunships, Martin is just the helmsman. Gill is still the captain. When Kutch and his men take on the highway bandits, Martin was told to stay with the vehicles. He was left to watch the prisoner while the others charged in, swords held high. And then there was the taking of badass at the start of this book. Martin was on the backup team to the backup team. He had a job to do, but it wasn't to spearhead the assault. Now, it's not that I don't like Martin, so I keep giving him the dull jobs. Part of my thinking there was that for every heroic leader, there are many, many average folk supporting him or her in the mission. If you and I found ourselves in such situations, the odds are pretty strong that you and I would be among the supporting helpers, not that guy out front with the sword. The Martin character explores what it's like to be part of the team, but not the glorious leader. A supporting role isn't the stuff of Walter Mitty daydreams, but it's much more realistic. And then, speaking of supporting roles, and I honestly didn't plan that as a segue, it just kind of worked out, 
I do appreciate the support you listeners have given me by buying me a coffee at Buy Me a Coffee, and a big thank you to my supporting monthly members. In that vein, I'd like to give a big welcome back to Catherine as one of my patrons on Patreon. You too can show your support for this podcast by one-time gifts at buymeacoffee.com. Links are in the show notes or by becoming a monthly member. Thanks, members.